Good morning. Glad to have you. Glad to be here. Thankful that um, we have another day. Thankful for this season ahead of us. Um, take time to reflect and think about what it is that gives us the hope that we might have. So today we are going to uh, speak of hope incarnate, um, a living hope. And so if you would turn in your Bibles to um, the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And this is a familiar scripture, I think, for some. And um, if, if you don't have a Bible, you can take a Bible in front of you there uh, under the seat. And it would be on page 886 in that Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that as a gift from uh, the way to you. So let's begin by reading. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world had, was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. But for, him, but for his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given to Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, again, we are just grateful. Grateful for your word. Grateful for um, an opportunity to be, to, to be able to uh, sit under your word and learn. Father, open our eyes and our hearts to know you, know you more through this word, through this living word that you have given us. May we honor and glorify you today, Father, praising your name in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, here in these first 18 verses of the first chapter of John, um, John is actually giving a prologue, if you will, that he's setting a tone for the rest of this gospel. 
Jesus, the Word, in verses 1 through 3, has always been. He created all things. He is with God and is God. Now, John clearly identifies Jesus in Messianic terms here. As Messiah, Jesus came to fulfill the prophecies of hope to mankind. On November 17, 2012, a fisherman by the name of Jose Alvarenga went to work. He was scheduled to meet with his longtime seasoned veteran fishing partner. Um, but when he got to work, his partner what, had called in that he wasn't available. So Jose's boss um, had said that, well, he found him a, a, somebody to work with him that day. And so he met, for the first time, Ezequiel Cordoba. He was 26 years old um, and aspiring fisherman, if you will. Did really not have all the years of experience in which Jose and his, his normal partner did have. But um, Jose knew that the yellowfin were biting and that there was a good chance of acquiring a marlin and also knew that these two fish would bring bounty at the fish market. And so he was excited about this 30 to 48-hour fishing trip in which they were going on. So on that day, November 17th, they uh, loaded themselves into their boat and um, grabbed the supplies necessary, and they left Costa Azul, Mexico, which is the southernmost tip of the Baja of California. Um, to the east would be the Sea of Cortez, to the west, the great Pacific Ocean. And shortly after leaving port in a 25-foot open skiff, they hit a storm, freak storm out of nowhere, popped up, and before long, they were blown off course by this storm. With a matter, within a matter of hours, they had lost their engine, an outboard motor that was on this skiff, and also the radio equipment. They had a portable radio in which um, they had taken with them. They, they found themselves fighting and uh, de dealing and struggling with up to 40-foot waves. Um, this fishing boat was taking on water like crazy. They, so they spent their entire time basically bailing and holding on. And this storm turned into a much greater storm. And so for five days, the storm went on and on. And eventually, on the fifth day, it relented. And when the seas settled, they had no engine, no sail, no oars, no electronics, no food, and a meager supply of fishing equipment that hadn't been destroyed or taken by the storm. They had no idea where they were and no way to get back. They were adrift. And they drifted like this for months, living, collecting rainwater for what little water they were able to get, um, eating fish, sea turtles and birds, whatever they might be able to catch. Um, after four months, the young man Cordova, he got very sick. And it was at that point and four months into it, uh, without the experience that 
Jose had had with the sea, he, he gave up hope. He was done. And shortly thereafter, he did die of starvation. Now, Alvaringa, at this point, wasn't even halfway through his ordeal. He tried signaling every ship that he saw, but was never spotted. He kept track of the time by the phases of the moon, and it was more than a year after the storm had set him adrift that he suddenly spotted land. Immediately, Jose jumped ship and swam to shore. Um, He made it, got on dry land, walked down the beach not too far, found a cottage on the beach that was inhabited by two people vacationing from Europe. And he asked where he was, and they said, this is the Marshall Islands. He was then, they called the authorities and taken to a hospital, and um, he lived to tell the story about it. Jose Alvarenga was adrift for 438 days. He traveled across the Pacific Ocean some 6,700 miles. He holds the record for the longest solo survival at sea. I mean, if you wanted to hold a record, that's not one I want to hold. But um, he holds it. And in this story, Jose Alvarenga held on to the hope of being rescued. His friend felt that there was no hope to hold on to. One lived and one perished. So you see, there was a time in my life when I believed or I felt that I was beyond hope um, because of things that I'd done in my past, decisions that I'd made. Um, I, I assumed that God had and or would just turn from me. I didn't feel that there was any real hope at all. And so in a sense, I was dead. I don't know if any of you relate to this, but there came a point in my life when um, encountering Jesus Christ, his grace changed all that for me. So the, the whole of the Bible tells us of the hope that we have in Christ. In the Gospels, each one tells the story of the life of Jesus. So if we start in the Gospel of Matthew when we look, it gives a in the beginning, gives a, a genealogy, if you will, of Jesus back to Abraham. In the book of Mark, um, he just jumps right into the ministry of Jesus Christ. In Luke, it goes genealogy from Jesus back to God and Adam. But where we find ourselves here in the book of John in verses 1 and 2, the apostle goes even further. Hard to imagine. But he gives Jesus' genealogy in about a sentence. And it is from Jesus to the beginning of all things. Jesus is the creator of all. In verses 3 and 4, it speaks of Jesus as God's word or the word. The second person of the Trinity. Nothing was created apart 
from Jesus. And this is an important point that we need to look at. See, first of all, Jesus is not an angel. He's he's not just a man or some other formed being. It also implies the difference between things that begin to exist and the one who has always existed. Jesus, the creator of all things, has come in the form of man as a, as a light to mankind. At the end of verse 4 in John, it uses the phrase, the light of men. And to a Hebrew, light was the ultimate value. All good things were said to be light, and evil, darkness. The light implies an exposing or a revealing. Jesus not only exposes our sinfulness, but he illuminates a way to be saved from our sin. Jesus came to be the light of the world. So in the season of Advent, it is a time of expected waiting to both celebrate the nativity of Jesus and his second coming. Advent means the coming. In the New Testament, the Greek word uses parousia, which means presence, arrival, or official visit. And in the East, in this time period, it was common for uh, an Advent coin to be struck as a memorial to the arrival of a king or emperor. As a matter of fact, it wasn't long ago, just uh, a few months, I think, that that they found in Jerusalem a gold coin that had the image of Nero on it. And it was an advent coin from a time when Nero had visited Corinth. So, in the New Testament, this word is used 24 times. Um, some of which has to do with the arrival of apostles to a people or a church. Um, At one point, it's um, speaking of the lawless one, Satan himself. But 17 times, it is in reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The season before us is a time to celebrate the glorious truth that God has fulfilled his covenant promise. Our Redeemer has come, and he is coming again. So in his coming, our hope is that the Son of God became the Son of men, that we might become sons of God. The idea in John 1, verse 5, is that without light, we're still in the darkness. See, I can attest to this. Because for, like I said, the longest time I held out no hope that I had a chance before God. I lived in darkness. And, and actually, that opinion was absolutely true. I held out no hope that I would be worthy before God. But the hope we have is in Christ. Apart from the light of Jesus... We are without hope. 
So there's two kinds of hope, really. I mean, there's the hope that is uh, an assurance and trust. And, and then there's a hope that's wishful thinking, like um, I wish Pam buys a, a laptop for me for Christmas. No? Okay. Um, now, there's a quote here that I really enjoy. It's from, it's from Ray Ortland, um, and it says, Hope is the soul of moral vitality. And any man or society of men that would live must be looking forward to something. An institution which is not struggling upwards towards a higher future must resign itself to the conviction that it is already in its decadence and must expect to die. So, brothers and sisters, if our hope is not in the light, then we, are hope, we hopelessly live in darkness. You see, if, if Christianity be without Jesus, then Christianity ceases to be. That seems rather simplistic, I guess, but if you allow me to explain, if, if you took Buddha out of Buddhism, you would still have Buddhism. You would have all the doctrines of Buddhism. And this would be true for pretty much any religion. If you take Muhammad out of Islam, you have Islam still and all the doctrines of Islam. And the reason why is because Buddha, Muhammad, they're men. But at the heart of Christianity and the gospel is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If Christ is removed, then there is no doctrine. And frankly, there is no hope and no light for the darkness. So in his coming, our hope is fulfilled because of the proclamation. The Son of God became the Son of Man. We go back to the book John here in verse 6 and 7. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John the Baptist proclaimed that our hope was through repentance and belief. And from the witness and the ministry of John the Baptist came many followers of Jesus. The author of this very gospel John, the Apostle John, and his brother James were both disciples of John the Baptist. But John the Baptist showed his humble submission in pointing his own followers to Jesus. At verse 12, it says, To all who believe in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. So, in his coming... Our hope is in the one who came to provide salvation. Looking at our scripture, in verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt is more literally tabernacled. The incarnate Son of God lived and died in our place as our Savior. And for those that he saves, he literally pitches a tent in our hearts. He tabernacles 
with us. There is no salvation apart for the coming of the eternal Son. Without his taking on human nature and acting as our covenant representative, there is no hope for this world. But because he did these things, we are children of God. In Philippians Philippians 2, verses 6 and 8, it says, Who, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus laid aside his rights as God in order to become the world's servant in human form, adding into himself human nature through the virgin conception. By taking on our human nature, the Son became the first man of the new creation, our great mediator and new covenant head. In Hebrews 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, For it is fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. So he alone satisfies God's own judgment against us and the demand for perfect obedience. Jesus came to fulfill this requirement demanded by God the Father for our sin. In Romans 5, verses 12 through 14, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. We go back to the book of John in verse 16. It says, from his fullness, we receive grace upon grace. Like I mentioned before, our hope can be one of complete trust. It's like a child being thrown in the air by their, with their father to be caught and then thrown up again. And both are just laughing at the fun that they're having. I, I get a picture of, of Gavin and Seth. They always got Gavin up like this, running around, Gavin and giggling, like just enjoying life, right? And the reason why is because there's no question or doubt on Gavin's part. But there's complete trust and assurance that those hands that hold him have him. In Hebrews 4.15, it tells us there that Jesus was made like us in every way except sin. See, every human father begets a son or a daughter with his sin nature. We may not understand completely how this works, 
But this is the way of the world after the fall. Sinners beget sinners always. And David spoke of this in Psalm 51. So if Joseph was the real father of Jesus, or Mary had slept with other men, then Jesus is not spotless, not innocent, and not perfectly holy. And as a result, we have no mediator and no imputation or transfer of Christ's righteousness to us. Because he has would have no righteousness to impute to us. And therefore, we would have no salvation. So, I guess, lastly, one of the things I would like to point us to is a very familiar scripture, uh, Romans 8, verse 1. And it says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, people, I really want us to hear this. It's very important that we understand how this works. It says, there is therefore now. Not next week. Not three months from now. Not when you get it all together. But right now. No condemnation. It also says that there is therefore now no. No. That means not at all. None. Zero. Not even a little bit. Even when you let yourself down or you let others down, if you be in Christ, there is zero condemnation. Now, that doesn't necessarily open the door for us to do what we want because there's, there's a gratitude that we should carry with us always about what Christ has done for us. But we're free from that darkness. So if you are in Christ, then repent, trust, and believe. See, Jose and Ezekiel, their story is amazing and tragic. But in many ways, it is the very story of the world. Adrift. Without hope living on a hope that is really just wishful thinking. Like the laptop at Christmas, right? But for those of us with hope, we can live where we see the storms brewing. We see and feel the waves crashing into the boat. And I would say it's necessary that we bail that boat. But we can just hold on. Because Christ has us. He will make things right. Regardless. See, we, we can say that Christ has come to rescue us, and he has done that.
but he's coming again. And with that, he makes all things new. We can have that kind of a hope. Living with the idea that one day there will be no pain, there will be no storms, there will be no waves in which we have to fight against in this world. We will live in a new world with no tears and no suffering. And we can count on this being true because we can live with the hope that is assurance and trust in the one true God, Jesus Christ. So I guess the question is, are you in Christ? And if so, what is the hope that you have? Let's pray.